Chapter Nine of the Lamplighter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget Gage. The Lamplighter by Maria Susanna Cummins. Chapter Nine. But peace, I must not quarrel with the will of highest dispensation, which herein haply had ends above my reach to know. Milton. Father said, Mrs. Sullivan. One afternoon, as he was preparing to go out and to take with him a number of articles which he wanted for his Saturday's work in the church, why don't you get little Gertie to go with you and carry some of your things? You can't take them all at once, and she'd like to go. I know. She'd only be in the way," said Mr. Cooper. "I can take them myself." But when he had swung a lantern and an empty coal hod on one arm, taken a little hatchet and a basket of kindlings in his hand, and hoisted a small ladder over his shoulder. He was fain to acknowledge that there was no accommodation for his hammer and a large paper of nails. So Mrs. Sullivan called Gertie and asked her to go to the church with Mr. Cooper and help him carry his tools. Gertie was very much pleased with the proposal, and taking the hammer and nails, started off with great alacrity. When they reached the church, the old sexton took them from her hands and, telling her she could play about until he went home, but to be sure and do no mischief, left her. And went down into the vestry room to commence there his operation of sweeping, dusting, and building fires. Gertie was thus left to her own amusement, and ample amusement she found it for some time to wander round among the empty aisles and pews and examine closely what hitherto she had only viewed from a corner of the gallery. Then she ascended the pulpit, and in imagination addressed a large audience. She was just beginning to grow weary and restless, however. When the organist, who had entered unperceived, commenced playing some low, sweet music, and Gertie, seating herself on the pulpit stairs, listened with the greatest attention and pleasure. He had not played long before the door at the foot of the broad aisle opened, and a couple of visitors entered, and observing whom Gertie was soon wholly engrossed. One was an elderly man dressed like a clergyman, short and spare, with hair thin and gray, forehead high, and features rather sharp. But though a plain man, remarkable for his calm and benignant expression of countenance, a young lady, apparently about twenty-five years of age, was leaning on his arm. She was attired with great simplicity, wearing a dark brown cloak and a bonnet of the same color, relieved by some light blue ribbon about the face. The only article of her dress which was either rich or elegant was some beautiful dark fur, fastened at her throat with a costly enameled slide. She was somewhat below the middle size, but had a pleasing and well-rounded figure. Her features were small and regular, her complexion clear, though rather pale, and her light brown hair was most neatly and carefully arranged. She never lifted her eyes as she walked slowly up the aisle, and the long lashes nearly swept her cheek. The two approached the spot where Gertie sat, but without perceiving her. "I am glad you like the organ," said the gentleman. I'm not much of a judge of music myself, but they say it is a superior instrument, and that Herman plays it remarkably well. Nor is my opinion of any value," said the lady, "for I have very little knowledge of music, much as I love it. But that symphony sounds very delightful to me. It is a long time since I have heard such touching strains, or it may be it is partly owing to their striking so sweetly on the solemn quiet of the church this afternoon." I love to go into a large church on a weekday. It was very kind in you to call for me this afternoon. How came you to think of it? 
I thought you would enjoy it, my dear. I knew Herman would be playing about this time. And, besides, when I saw how pale you were looking, it seemed to me the walk would do you good. It has done me good. I was not feeling well, and the clear, cold air was just what I needed. I knew it would refresh me. But Mrs. Ellis was busy, and I could not, you know, go out alone. I thought I should find Mr. Cooper, the sexton here, said the gentleman. I want to speak to him about the light. The afternoons are so short now, and it grows dark so early. I must ask him to open more of the blinds, or I cannot see to read my sermon tomorrow. Perhaps he is in the vestry room. He is always somewhere about here on Saturday. I think I had better go and look for him. Just then Mr. Cooper entered the church, and seeing the clergyman, came up, and after receiving his directions about the light, seemed to request him to accompany him somewhere. For the gentleman hesitated, glanced at the young lady, and then said, I suppose I ought to go today, and, as you say, you are at leisure. It is a pity I should not, but I don't know. Then turning to the lady, he said, Emily, Mr. Cooper wants me to go to Mrs. Glass's with him, and I suppose I should have to be absent some time. Do you think you should mind waiting here until I return? She lives in the next street, but I may be detained, for it's about that matter of the library books being so mischievously defaced, and I am very much afraid that oldest boy of hers had something to do with it. It ought to be inquired into before tomorrow, and I can hardly walk so far as this again tonight, or I would not think of leaving you. Oh, go by all means, said Emily. Don't mind me. It will be a pleasure to sit here and listen to the music. Mr. Herman's playing is a great treat to me, and I don't care how long I wait. So I beg you won't hurry on my account, Mr. Arnold. Thus assured, Mr. Arnold concluded to go, and having first led the lady to a chair beneath the pulpit, went away with Mr. Cooper. All this time Gertie had been quite unnoticed, and had remained very quiet on the upper stair. A little secured from sight by the pulpit. Hardly had the doors closed, however, with a loud bang, when the child got up and began to descend the stairs. The moment she moved, the lady, whose seat was very near, started and exclaimed rather suddenly, Who's that? Gertie stood quite still and made no reply. Strangely enough, the lady did not look up, though she must have perceived that the movement was above her head. There was a moment's pause. And then Gertie began again to run down the stairs. This time the lady sprung up and, stretching out her hand, said as quickly as before, Who is it? Me, said Gertie, looking up into the lady's face. It's only me. Will you stop and speak to me? said the lady. Gertie not only stopped, but came close up to Emily's chair, irresistibly attracted by the music of the sweetest voice she had ever heard. The lady placed her hand on Gertie's head. Drew her towards her and said, Who are you? Gertie. Gertie, who? Nothing else but Gertie. Have you forgotten your other name? I haven't got any other name. How came you here? I came with Mr. Cooper to help him bring his things. And he's left you here to wait for him, and I'm left too, so we must take care of each other, mustn't we? Gertie laughed at this. Where were you? On the stairs? Yes. Suppose you sit down on this step by my chair and talk with me a little while. I want to see if we can't find out what your other name is. Where do you say you live? With Uncle True. True? Yes, Mr. True Flint, I live with now. He took me home to his house one night when Nan Grant put me out on the sidewalk. 
"'Why, are you that little girl? "'Then I've heard of you before. "'Mr. Flint told me all about you. "'Do you know my Uncle True?' "'Yes, very well. "'What's your name?' "'My name is Emily Graham.' "'Oh, I know,' said Gertie, springing suddenly up and clapping her hands together. "'I know. You asked him to keep me. He said so. I heard him say so. And you gave me my clothes, and you're beautiful, and you're good, and I love you. Oh, I love you ever so much.' As Gertie spoke with a voice full of excitement, a strange look passed over Miss Graham's face, a most inquiring and restless look, as if the tones of the voice had vibrated on a chord of her memory. She did not speak, but passing her arm round the child's waist, drew her closer to her. As the peculiar expression passed away from her face, and her features assumed their usual calm composure, Gertie, as she gazed at her with a look of wonder, a look which the child had worn during the whole of the conversation, exclaimed at last, "'Are you going to sleep?' "'No. Why?' "'Because your eyes are shut.' "'They are always shut, my child.' "'Always shut. What for?' "'I am blind, Gertie. I can see nothing.' "'Not see,' said Gertie. "'Can't you see anything? Can't you see me now?' "'No,' said Miss Graham. "'Oh!' exclaimed Gertie, drawing a long breath. "'I'm so glad.' "'Glad?' said Miss Graham, in the saddest voice that ever was heard. "'Oh, yes,' said Gertie. "'So glad you can't see me, because now perhaps you'll love me.' "'And shouldn't I love you if I saw you?' said Emily, passing her hand softly and slowly over the child's features. "'Oh, no,' answered Gertie. "'I'm so ugly. I'm glad you can't see how ugly I am.' "'But just think, Gertie,' said Emily, in the same sad voice. "'How would you feel if you could not see the light, could not see anything in the world?' "'Can't you see the sun, and the stars, and the sky, and the church we're in? Are you in the dark?' "'In the dark, all the time, day and night in the dark.' Gertie burst into a paroxysm of tears. "'Oh!' exclaimed she, as soon as she could find voice amid her sobs. "'It's too bad! It's too bad!' The child's grief was contagious, and for the first time in years Emily wept bitterly for her blindness. It was but for a few moments, however— Quickly recovering herself, she tried to compose the child also, saying, "'Hush, hush, don't cry, and don't say it's too bad. It's not too bad. I can bear it very well. I'm used to it, and am quite happy.' "'I shouldn't be happy in the dark. I should hate to be,' said Gertie. "'I ain't glad you're blind. I'm real sorry. I wish you could see me in everything. Can't your eyes be opened, anyway?' "'No,' said Emily, "'never. But we won't talk about that any more.' "'We'll talk about you. "'I want to know what makes you think yourself so very ugly.' "'Because folks say that I'm an ugly child, "'and that nobody loves ugly children.' "'Yes, people do,' said Emily. "'Love ugly children, if they are good.' "'But I ain't good,' said Gertie. "'I'm real bad.' "'But you can be good,' said Emily. "'And then everybody will love you.' "'Do you think I can be good?' "'Yes, if you try. "'I will try.' "'I hope you will,' said Emily. "'Mr. Flint thinks a great deal of his little girl, "'and she must do all she can to please him.' She then went on to make inquiries concerning Gertie's former way of life, and became so much interested in the recital of the little girl's early sorrows and trials, that she was unconscious of the flight of time, and quite unobservant of the departure of the organist, 
who had ceased playing, closed his instrument, and gone away. Gertie was very communicative. Always a little shy of strangers at first, she was nevertheless easily won by kind words, and, in the present case, the sweet voice and sympathetic tones of Emily went straight to her heart. Singularly enough, though her whole life had been passed among the poorer, and almost the whole of it among the lowest class of people, she seemed to feel none of that awe and constraint which might be supposed natural on her encountering, for the first time, one who, born and bred amid influence and luxury, showed herself, in every word and motion, a lady of polished mind and manners. On the contrary, Gertie clung to Emily as affectionately, and stroked her soft boa with as much freedom as if she herself had been born in a palace and cradled in sable fur. Once or twice she took Emily's nicely gloved hand between both her own and held it tight, her favorite mode of expressing her enthusiastic warmth of gratitude and admiration. The excitable but interesting child took no less strong a hold upon Miss Graham's feelings. The latter saw at once how totally neglected the little one had been, and the importance of her being educated and trained with care, lest early abuse, acting upon an impetuous disposition, should prove destructive to a nature capable of the best attainments. The two were still entertaining each other, and, as we have said, unconscious of the lateness of the hour, when Mr. Arnold entered the church hastily, and somewhat out of breath. As he came up the aisle, when he was yet some way off, he called to Emily, saying, "'Emily, dear, I'm afraid you thought I had forgotten you. I have been gone so much longer than I intended. Were you not quite tired and discouraged?' "'Have you been gone long?' replied Emily. "'I thought it was but a very little while. I have had company, you see.' "'What, little folks?' said Mr. Arnold, good-naturedly. "'Where did this little body come from?' "'She came to the church this afternoon, with Mr. Cooper. "'Isn't he here for her?' "'Cooper? No, he went straight home, after he left me. "'He's probably forgotten all about the child. "'What's to be done?' "'Can't we take her home? "'Is it far?' "'It is two or three streets from here, and directly out of our way, "'altogether too far for you to walk.' "'Oh, no, it won't tire me. I'm quite strong now, and I wouldn't but know she was safe home, on any account. I'd rather get a little fatigued.' If Emily could have seen Gertie's grateful face that moment, she would indeed have felt repaid for almost any amount of weariness. So they went home with Gertie, and Emily kissed Gertie at the gate, and Gertie was a happy child that night. End of chapter 9